Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. It loves a circle with no end. No, it's not. It's not about this blessing. And he said happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is a shape. Happiness is egg-shaped. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Egg Shaped. And today I'm joined by someone who I've coached, uh, I've watched from afar, and I know he's got a very bright future on the touchline coaching. And at the moment, he's currently developing the next generation for Scottish rugby. And I've no doubt he is having a significant impact on their progress. He is a good, good man from good stock from the Scottish borders where rugby is the number one game. He's been around, he's travelled, his family have been around and travelled and now he's undertaken a huge charity task. He's got three to go and I am delighted to try and give him a little bit of support. So please get on board, watch his journey, donate if you can, get the trainers on and go out and give a run to give him some motivation to get to that finish line because what he's done so far has been absolutely superb. Let's get him in and have a chat to him. It's Chris Laidlaw. Hello, Chris. Afternoon, Bruce. How's it going? Yeah, good. Uh, really pleased to have you on. We've been talking about it for a while, and we're we're finally getting there. Um, so let's let's start at the at the where we are just now. What's this challenge? What is it you're up to? Yeah, so the challenge has been to run twelve marathons in twelve months. Um, currently nine down with three to go. Um, and it's it's look, it's been a challenge that was born out of um, immense sadness for the family, um, losing mum last year during lockdown um and i did i, w- I wasn't going to play uh, much rugby if any this year so i decided to kind of take this challenge on at the start of the year um originally i was only going to run one and then for some crazy reason i decided to do one a month uh, and here we are nine down and in the home stretch and three to go before the, t- the end of the year so um look mate it's been it's been incredible in a number of different ways um I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we are at this point in time. So three to go, the body's holding up and uh, excited to get towards the end. Yeah, I think you're absolutely off your trolley. Were, were you a runner before? Obviously, I know you as a player and you worked hard on your skills and in the gym, but was running something you did? Nah, nah, mate. The, the longest I'd run actually was in, I think, 2013. I'd run a half marathon when I was in New Zealand. Um and that was the furthest I'd ever ran before I'd taken on the first full marathon of this year. So, um, now long distance running, never my thing. Um, but geez, oh, it's been a hell of a challenge, um, on, on that front. So there's, there's doing the 12 marathons, right? That, that bit is, is crazy enough, but you can't just do 12 marathons. So you, you, 
undertook a fair bit of training. You have to run to keep yourself ticking over. Young family, uh, job, you know, a, a physically active job where you're driving around, you're, you're doing sessions. Where are you finding the time to train? Yeah, it's probably getting shorter and shorter, to be honest, the time frame of training or, or doing between marathons. Um, I, we did a fair, I suppose that up until the first marathon was a very condensed period of training. Um, I had Junior and, and CK from, from Boromir and we'd done like, I think we'd done basically a 10K, a half and a 30K in the space of about five weeks before the first one, which was like a baptism of fire. I'll never forget the 30K that we did along the canal, thinking that was the first time I thought, shit, I've let myself in here for a, for a tough ride. Because um, I just remember coming towards Megaland, finishing that 30K, thinking, you know, I've got another 12 to go when I do the actual marathon itself. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough old mission. So you said it came out of sadness and, and lockdown. People came up with all kinds of crazy ideas for things they were going to do when they got the chance to do it. But you're doing it for charity, aren't you? Yeah, I'm doing it for three charities, actually. Um, so the first one being Marie Curie, who who came in at the sort of final stages of mum's life, probably the last couple of weeks, I think, in the house um, and provided provided an immense support, really. It's, you know, our time at Boromir, obviously, Marie Curie were you know, a big, a big part of the club and, and people raise money and, and, and I've seen it around, but I think until you actually experience what they do firsthand, um, it kind of opens your eyes to, to these types of individuals. And, and basically I wanted to give back something to them for the support that they gave us as a family, first and foremost. Um, the second charity is Alzheimer's Scotland. So, um, you know, people know that dad is suffering from Alzheimer's, unfortunately. Um, and he kind of made that public, you know, towards the, the tail end of last year after mum's passing so um and and they've been really great i suppose and just in signposting us in the right places around supporting dad and what to do and what to look out for and you know who knows what the future really holds or the, the short to long term so we just got to enjoy the short term and and support dad as best we can um so that's the reason i was raising money for them and the third one is murrayfield injured players who you know a lot of people may may not know about but they, they sit within Scottish rugby and support players with, you know, short-term in, injury or long-term. And the first dealings I had with them or, or knew about was Eddie Rennick at Jed Forrest, who had a catastrophic injury when he was just a young fella in a scrum. So they've supported Eddie for, for a good number of years in terms of looking after him. Uh, and I got support when I had a bad shoulder injury. Uh, my brother Scott has had support through an injury as well. And they've been just, just really good and positive around dad and making sure there's a good support network around him as well. So three charities that I felt like I had a really close connection with that I wanted to give something back to because of the experiences I've had. Um, and it just all in all gives it a really strong purpose to why I'm doing it. And that's, I suppose, why a lot of people have maybe connected with it as well. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I love it. And it's great to hear you speaking so passionately about it and wanting to give back. The uh, the, the charities are, you know, Marie Curie is, is well known. Alzheimer's is well known. But the, the injured players one, probably not so much. And I know Ian Rankin's done a lot for that. How much did you set yourself up for a target? So the first target was 3,000. So I thought when I first set out, I thought, a thousand pound for each charity would just be um would be awesome. So we're uh, we're ticking along pretty nicely from there. And you've you've raised what so far up to this point? What are you on? Oh, I think they're just given sitting just below eighteen thousand. Um, but I, I do have a bit of a bit of stuff I need to, to put in there still from people who have given me that. So we'll definitely be over eighteen thousand, which is yeah, it's it's outstanding, Bruce. In a time where you know the last eighteen months has been bloody challenging for everyone, hasn't it? Um. You know, people have showed massive, um, you know, commitment to the challenge. I've uh, been outstanding in terms of supporting it, whether it's on the days, running, getting in touch or fundraising. Um, and look, I never thought that would be possible in terms of the money. And now we're up to 18,000. You know, I'd quite like to get to that 20, I think, before the year's out. So, um, but look, it's been far more than just about the money. But having spent a bit of time talking to the charities, been up at Marie Curie a couple of times, um, and I know how much it, it means to them and how much the, the money will help them support people um, who have maybe gone through something similar to myself and the family. So, um, yeah, it's outstanding. It is brilliant. And here's the back of my neck standing up. Now, you, I, I hate to say this, Chris, but I told you so. You phoned me before you started this and you told me that total and I said, <laughs> you're going to blast that. Now, I still don't think I thought you were going to get to 20-odd grand, but 
uh, I, I think you're getting maybe a glimpse into how well thought of you are, your family is, uh, the contribution that you've made to, to people's lives. Now, obviously, most of those people are within rugby, but but good people, I tend to think, get good things happening to them, and, and I hope you're seeing that. Now, you, you mentioned uh, your brothers there. Scott, I know well. I, I played a bit with Scott. Uh, he used to crack me up. We had a we had a grand old time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're, there's a bit of support coming from the other side of the world as well, isn't there? Yeah, so obviously, old, oldest brother Clark is is over in New Zealand, and oh look, he's had a tough a tough eighteen months with with mum and dad, um, and being stuck on the other side of the world, and and not knowing when ultimately he can get out of there and, and come and visit, and and thank goodness he did manage to get back uh, just before mum's passing, which was was a blessing. Um, so. Look, he yeah, he he's done what he what he can over the other side of the world, and I suppose the most the biggest part was when they were in uh, MIQ coming out the back of the Olympics, he decided to do twelve marathons on his walk bike in twelve days, um, and he got quite a lot of the players and management on board with it as well. But um, I think he he got lucky because he got a, a an actual walk bike, a good bike, but some of the players and other staff had bikes that were absolutely hanging, so. I think they jumped on maybe for one day and thought there's no way I can continue for another for another eleven. So, um, but fair play to, to Clark and um, just having that you know having that support that sits there just keeps me going because there's times where it's pretty bleak, it's pretty dark. Whether it's training up to a marathon, whether it's on the marathon themselves, but um, when you can go back to people who have done something like that and jumped on board and connected with the challenge, I think it just it just keeps me going. So. You know he's he's always in touch. He's always he's always asking how much faster I'm going to do them. But I don't think he realizes how how hard it is to run one, never mind twelve. So I just keep telling him I'm just I'm just getting through them, just trying to get through them. It so um, uh, typical typical big brother, typical big brother. Did he not do something else bloody silly as well? Oh, he threw himself out of a plane. Yeah, he threw himself out of the plane for for a charity across the NZ um, through his through the NZ sevens. So. Um, yeah, he's not been short of a few challenges himself. Coming to think of it, of late, yeah, uh, he's he's some boy. Uh, it's it's brilliant to hear that you're in touch, and I know he's found it difficult being on the other side of the world. We actually recorded a pod with him, and then the tech sprites got into it and destroyed it. So I'm hoping to catch up with him again. Um, so Big Brother's obviously coaching. You're now getting yourself into it. You've been doing it for a while, but now you're employed by Scottish Rugby. How are you finding that role developing uh, academy players? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm probably loving it a bit more now that the things have kind of with COVID and we're out the back of that a little bit more and we're starting to, to see some sort of more programmes regionally get kick-started again and working with more players. Is, um, look, I, I do genuinely love coaching. I think um, I've got a real... A real enthusiasm for making people better and connecting, connecting with the players, having good relationships, and and ultimately just trying to, you know, make them the best they can on the journey, whatever journey they're on. And um, look, I'm very in my very early stages of becoming a coach, and um, I think about the cycle I've kind of gone on from starting at Dunbar to where I am now in five years, and the kind of the feelings I've had around, you know, I'm, I'm in. I know I know quite a bit. To now I'm thinking, geez, I know I know nothing. <laughs> um, so it's it's quite interesting, and I'm sure you know coaches that listen to this and yourself, who an experienced coach. It's um, yeah, it's an up and down journey, but I'm, I'm genuinely excited about the the future of of my coaching journey and in the future short term of the the academy that I'm currently working with. And from Jed. Uh, Jed's had you know however many unbelievable rugby players. Uh, I loved that they did the 999 dinner with your dad and Gary Armstrong and, and cousin Greg, uh, all having done great things. We're number nine. Jed's had coaches. Uh, you've had lots of people that have influenced you. When you look back on that environment, is there bits you wish boys could experience now? Is there bits that you think, oh, I wish we'd had what we've got now then? Yeah, I suppose there is. Like I think, I think back to the the early influences that I had as a player, and and I suppose the big thing. So one of them would be Bill Johnson, for example, Mister um, Johnson, as I still call him when I when I meet up with him and see him face to face, because that's what he was. He was my teacher um, when I when I went to the grammar school, a, a PE teacher. 
but he just had a massive love for the game and what the game was and um, and making sure that us boys had a really positive experience of the game and, and of the environment. It was never necessarily about like how good we could be as a, as a rugby player. It was almost just just enjoy being together, enjoy what the experience holds, um, getting on a bus and going away to Peebles on a Wednesday night and, and then stopping for a chippy on the way back. You know, it's, it's those things that I suppose you remember. Um, and, and then from there, a, a guy like Kevin Barry, who who was my under-18 coach, who was very passionate, had a real hard edge to how he delivered. Um, so a total polar opposites, I suppose, to, to Bill Jay in terms of that. Um, and then and Clark actually coached a little bit on my transition between um, under-18 and senior rugby. So, you know, there's a good story. I had a really bad leg break when I was 15-year-old and Clark was refereeing at the time. And I'll never forget, he, he was tell- shouting at me to get off the floor. Um, while he was miles away from the play, and then he got closer and and realised that my ankle was pointing the other way. So, um, so he, he as a as a sort of older brother and coach and mentor, he was you know he was in and around my sort of key transitions, which which was quite cool when I look look back on that now. Um, and then I had various other coaches at the club. So, I think I think that's what I try and bring with me. I suppose is firstly the the players need to love coming to whatever it is you're doing, whether it's a a one-off session, whether it's the job I'm in now, each sort of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the boys are in. You know, they need to, they need to love coming to that place because because of the people that are there and because of the experience we're trying to provide. Um, and ultimately, we, we want them to have a positive journey and a positive destination in rugby because that that's what what I had in the very early stages. Like my old man was never one for you must play rugby. You're going down to the mini rugby on Sunday. He just he just kind of. He was just there. You just kind of went and he supported it rather than actually driving you to do it. So I suppose those little bits of experience I, I do try and hold within my, my coaching and, and relationship building with the players I'm currently working with. And, the you know, having your old man in a in a small place like Jed, that must have brought some pressure. Yeah, like I, I get that. I, I suppose a lot of people ask me about that in terms of the pressure, the name. Um, and at times... I, I, you know, I suppose I just want to be, I want to be Chris and I want to be recognised for what I do. Um, I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily huge pressure. I think some people maybe have perceptions or expectations. Um, but look, I, I, I just want to, I want people to, to recognise what, what I do. And it's, it, it's you know, the journey that I'm on. And um, look, I've got massive, you know, I love my old man and, and cousin Greg and Clark and Scott and, and what they've done. And, and they've probably been, top role models for me. Um, so I think if I can take a bit of each single one of them and mould it into the into some of my stuff, then then I should be on a, an okay track, hopefully. Ah, you're doing bloody well, boy. Give yourself some credit. You went away to New Zealand. Uh, now, I, I did that when I was 19, and I still look back on it and just absolutely loved it. And it was the same, but it was different. How did you find New Zealand as a youngster? I think it's probably the the best thing I can think I've ever done um, from a number of different fronts. Probably the biggest one just from a, a life aspect, life experience. I was pretty lucky, Bruce, in the sense that Clark was there at the time. So Clark, his wife, Karen, and family were already there. And myself and wife, Alana, we went over knowing that they were there. So we had a ready-made support network when we got there. Um, and we'll be forever grateful to them in terms of that and what they, they showed us and and helped us settle in, but um, look, it was it was massive. I played football, believe it or not, for a, for a short spell when I went over because I'd played rugby since I was knee high, and thought I'm only here for nine months. We were only going for nine months originally. The rugby season's like six months. I was like, I really want to commit all that time to to training and playing because that wasn't the the sole reason I'd gone over there. It was more just a sort of work and holiday type thing. Um, so I played football for a bit, which was just it was great, just meeting new people. There wasn't many Kiwis, I have to be brutally honest, that were playing football. So you're meeting people from all over the world and there was a couple other Scots there and um you know it was it was a brilliant experience. And then we actually stayed we stayed a hell of a lot longer than the nine months. So the following year I decided that I would that I would join a club and play and and I look back and I'm so glad that I did because that experience was outstanding from from a rugby point of view in terms of just the way they went about their business, the training weeks, the games um, the coaching, the the culture. Um, you know, I played in a, a heavily sort of Polynesian team in Taranaki and Sportswood United. So, 
you know, and I, I look back that now and played with guys like Seta Tamanivalu, Waisaki Noholo, um, Yoko Yoko Aso, who have all, you know, all black caps, New Zealand sevens caps. And, um, but at the time, they're just, just your, you know, just running the mill people, like great people down to earth. And um, it was just an awesome club to be part of, coached by Johnny Weston, who you'll know well, uh, and Mike Collins, who's a legend uh, in the Waikato and in Taranaki. So, look, I had an awesome experience. Um, we be- beat New Plymouth Old Boys. I think it was the first time in oh, God knows how long, many years. Um, so I, I remember that feeling of the, you know, the club, um, just absolutely loving the fact that they managed to get one over on their local rivals and and, and having a hell of a time after it. So, um, look, I, I, if someone was to come to me and say, look, I've got the opportunity to go and do this, then I'd just be like 100% go and do it because it's such a positive experience from a number of different fronts. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Now, I don't know how, what did you think before you went? Obviously, Clark was there. And it's quite a common path for for guys for the borders to go and do a bit of rugby in New Zealand. Did it did it meet your expectations? Was it was it different? I'll tell you why I say this because quite a lot of people think New Zealand is it must be everything's professional. They must have all the bells and whistles. Everything's the the best. And actually, you get there, and you mentioned it about the ethos and the culture. That was what I found in New Zealand. Yeah, I think, look, if I'm brutally honest, when I first went, that's probably what put me off going going and playing rugby at that point in time because I thought I'm not I'm not overly invested in doing this for the whole season. I'm not too sure. I don't want to really throw myself into something where I'll get maybe eaten up and spat out the other side because that's a perception I probably had that it's going to be way better. It's going to be a lot harder. It's um, But actually, once you got into the mix of it, it was, it was so good. Like... It, I remember thinking they'll they'll smash each other in the week. They'll do loads of contact. It'll be really hard edge to doing literally nothing, no contact. Um, preseason was a preseason I'd never experienced before in terms of everything with a ball, everything games. And I remember going into the season just feeling like so fit. Um, and then and then the season itself was quite a short season, quite a short domestic season, and. Um, yeah, to- totally different, I suppose, to what my perception was from the from the outside going over there, um, and and what a positive experience it was. When I, you know, I look back and it was such fun memories. Um, that that sort of six month window with Spotswood. I just I remember guys just rocking up with their work boots on, just pulling on their shorts, pulling on some socks, some tacky old boots, and then they would go and have an eighty minute stormer. No yeah. bother with a shower. Just put their work boots back on, jeans on, and straight into the bar. And you were like, "That's that's not how it's supposed to be." Yeah. It's, just, oh, it's just it's just brilliant. It's it's such a such a great experience. Um, you know, and as I said before, if if anyone listening gets the opportunity to do so, then uh, yeah, fire in. Ah, totally, absolutely loved it. And then then you then you came back, and I I don't know how you felt when you've come back from an experience like that. Were you expecting that things would just take off or did you come back and start from zero again? What was it like coming back to this country? Um, it's a really good question because I, I suppose reflecting back in the here and the now, I'd, when I was coming back, I mean, the main driver to come back was Clark and Karen had left Taranaki to go and live in Wellington. So we'd lost that sort of family support network. But through the two years that we'd been there, we'd obviously picked up um, some some new mates and some strong uh, relationships with with friends there but um, so but it felt like the sort of right time to come back um, we headed back to Jed um, I went back to Jed Forest um, and I think look I, that that first season when I came back I would honestly say I was flying I think that's probably one of the best seasons when I look back um, that I performed probably scoring um, tries for fun if I remember. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think Jed were in the, the highest of leagues, to be fair. But I remember just having so much confidence, Bruce, around like the game, um, whether that was through the coaching I'd had or whether it was just through the, the experience I had in life in general. I don't know. Um, but I came back far more confident in my own ability. Um, felt like I was playing without any shackles and, and had, a, had a really good season. I think that the toughest challenge when we came back was just as a as a couple um, going coming from New Zealand, going back to stay in Jed, where I was obviously from, but Alana was not from there. Um, that provided you know a good few challenges. I remember sort of three six months in, 
of being home thing, turning to each other and saying, what, you know, what have we done? We've, you know, I was enjoying the rugby, but away from the rugby, not so much. Um, but look, we, we rolled it out and, and, um, for, for that season down in Jed, but, um, then, then we transitioned up to, to stay and play in Edinburgh after that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll not get into that in too much depth because I might get in bothered for that. But, uh, when you, when you left school, you, you probably, I don't know if you had much of a plan, but it's not the career that you're in just now. What, you know, there's a lot of people who want to leave school and they get onto a ladder and they just climb it. I mean, you've, you were in one thing and now you're in something completely different. How's that been? And and you must still be, Alana must still have you making stuff and building stuff and fixing stuff, does she? Yeah, absolutely. She does. There's always a, a DIY list of some description kicking about, but um it's it's a it's an interesting one because I left school when I was sixteen to become an apprentice joiner um, with with a local firm, um, Brian Moffat, who's actually a, a, a sort of relative of the family. And my brother Scott works and still works with Brian. So um, when when I look back on that, I think should should I have left when I was sixteen? Should I have because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. That option was was there because Brian was you know willing to take me on and, and put me through an apprenticeship. Um, so, so I did that, and uh, you know, if I had my time again, would it? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So, if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To do that I, I don't know but I think what it did give me was such a, a good experience you know that was a four-year apprenticeship um, and out the back of that when I went to New Zealand I had that and was able to pick up a job pretty much immediately um, so look if I hadn't done that and I, you know I went to New Zealand then it would have been a very different story so um, yeah it was a different, you know, a different path to where I'm on now. And then when I went to New Zealand, I continued that. And when I came back, I continued it for a little bit. But I always had the sort of burning desire to, to work in sport or work in rugby of some description, as you probably know. And, and it did take me a long time, I suppose, to find the right the right job, the right avenue, be given an opportunity, ultimately. Um, I dipped into recruitment, IT recruitment, which honestly would, would never go back to. And, and it was never up my you know, at my street or my skill set, really, and only done it for six months. But I, th- I think of the skills that I got from that six months and, and the, my ability to, to pick up the phone and talk to people about something that I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> was um, just just crazy. Like, um, but again, like that was, you know, when I look back on it now, it was an experience that took me oh, way, way, way out of my comfort zone um, in terms of that job. And and I, w- I would never go back to it. Um, but I think it's given me some some skills and some tools that I'm, I'm able to sort of bring with me now. So, look, it's been a very sort of, you know, a, a path that's kind of crossed different directions. It's gone to different things. And and I'm I'm now, you know, in a job that I, I genuinely love doing. And um, and who knows what, what will be the future. But I think all of those things have given me a really good experience in something different. Um, and, and I think that's a thing. Like, I, I never knew what I wanted to do, really. Um, and it's probably taken me from 16 to, you know, 20, 26, really. So 10 years to, to really find my feet um, and find something that I really wanted to do, that I love doing, that I enjoy doing. Um, so, yeah, any youngsters, I suppose, that, that kick about and leave school, it's there's no rush, I suppose. As long as you've got a good support network around you, which I definitely had, um, that they, they were always there to kind of keep nudging me back in the right direction, I suppose. Um it does take a bit of time. So, 
I think you've now found yourself in a brilliant job to mentor these kids that you've got. And I think those experiences are so, so important because you can see wider than just what happens between the white lines. And I, I can just, I know you're very good at what you do, but I can imagine the boys really looking up to you, the players that you're working with really looking up to you. When you when you look back on those experiences, though, and then you arrive with a bag of balls and a stack of cones to your first, you know, your first session as a professional coach, somebody whose job is to coach, the learning curve must have been really, really steep. Oh, it's been massive. It's been huge because... I got the job, um, the academy job, I think it was about October last year. Um, and and basically up until, you know, two months ago, three months ago, I hadn't really struck a blow. Um, now, you spent time listening to other coaches and webinars and podcasts and listening. And, and all of a sudden you start thinking, geez, I know, I know literally nothing. So then you start, you, you know, you start doubting yourself maybe a little bit around actually, you know, am I, am I cut out for this? Am I the right person for the job? And I do remember that you know the first couple of sessions being really, really nervous around one working with the players, working with new staff as a full-time professional, you know, professional environment really um, compared to my days at Dunbar and and at Barmuir. So um, yeah, it's it, I am on a steep learning curve. I think um, a very steep learning curve, but I just I just need to be patient. I think that's probably one thing that I've learned through my through my time. I've always been an individual that probably wants things very quickly and. In the here and the now, and want you know success quickly, but I think I've probably learned through my, my experience over the last sort of ten years that um, it does take time. I just need to be patient um, and enjoy the kind of the here and the now, and and I'll get a chance to look back on it in the years to come and just enjoy the kind of journey that I'm on and and be the best coach and, and mentor and individual I can be within the program I'm I'm in just now. And the job you had at Dunbar, I, I would imagine there was a lot of run forward, pass backwards kind of coaching and you know kids who were just picking it up for the first time and it's a bloody complicated game but that must have really grounded you again and brought you back to right do I love it is this what's important and I know that you're well thought of in Dunbar and you know the staff down at the P department there and the rugby club have been supporting you through your your charitable runs recently how do you look back on that wee period of time? Yeah, it was brilliant. I think I was extreme. I say lucky, but that opportunity just came up at the right time. I think for me, I'd moved moved out to that side of Edinburgh. Um, the club were obviously looking for a new development officer, um, and I managed to get the role down there. And I think everything from the community of Dunbar, East Lothian as a, a rugby region, um, the school down at Dunbar just was a great fit for me at that time. Um, the the people in the PE base down there were just top top people. Um, great, great teachers, um, great people who I learned a massive amount off in terms of how they interacted with pupils, how they taught, how they put programs together for longer periods than just a one-off session that I never really thought about. And um, and then working in East Lothian, who had some really good development officers at that time, and Jason Riley, um, Fergus Pringle was the head of um, East Lothian Rugby, um, employed by the council there at Meadow Mill. Who had a really positive impact on me as a young fella coming into that role um, and, and keep in touch with Fergus a fair bit still and, and enjoying watching his kind of journey as a, as a Super 6 coach and a leader of that group at Watsonian. So, yeah, I, I look back on that experience, at, you know, delivering primary school sessions. Um, I used to deliver rugby talk sessions, I think. And again, that probably comes back to my Bill J days where you're just trying to make them fall in love with the experience. Like it's not not making them like better rugby players. It's not even necessarily worrying about the rugby. It's just falling in love with being at the rugby club, with being around people they they enjoy being around, making friends. Um, and I think that was a big part of why, you know, I was reasonably successful in Dunbar, and especially at sort of the younger ages, and managed to get a reasonably good program going at the secondary school because I was just trying to make it, you know, the best place it could be for the for the people at that point in time. So. Look, I'll always look back on Dunbar with fond memories. I absolutely loved working down there. Um, the, there's a you know a large number of players that are kicking about rugby circles out with Dunbar now, which you know is testament to those guys that, that they're good enough now to kick on. And um, you know, there's some some top players come out of Dunbar. And 
the, the club will be a massive challenge for the club down there just in terms of how, you know, where do they fit within the landscape um, of, of rugby and, and the Dunbar community. Um, but I really hope that they can can get that right because I had three yeah three amazing years down there and we'll always be thankful to them for the opportunity. Yeah, I can hear the passion in your voice and I, and I know they loved having you down there and I know how much you got out of it. You must be at Murrayfield somewhere or walking along the street and there's a, a kid comes up and shouts at you. How do those little moments make you feel? Yeah, I can't remember who it was. It was there was a coach. It might have been Wayne Smith or someone that said that he felt that that was the sort of top top end of being a coach. If you can walk down the street, the guy recognises you. The guy stays on the same side of the street and wants to have a conversation. And I thought, geez, that, that's probably right. You know, if you can build a strong enough relationship with an individual that you can have hard, you know, positive, negative conversations, honest conversation with in the time that you're coaching them. And then when they leave your environment, they, they actually, you know, want to spend time chatting to you and, and seeing what you've been up to and talking, not rugby and, and life in general. I think that probably sums it up. Um, I was, as I say, I was down, finished my last marathon down in Dunbar and there was some kids that were, at, I think, primary five or six when I left and now we're like S2 and I've got a lot bigger. And um, But they came across and, and had a chat and it made me think about, you know, the times that I was down there and, um, it's, it's just awesome um, and I think that's what sport and rugby gives you doesn't it it's those relationships and um, you know throughout your your journey as a player or a coach or a supporter or whatever it may be um, it's it's just brilliant yeah amen love it absolutely love it and then you got to do some of the elite stuff uh, with the women's program yeah yeah how did, how did that come around so that, that kind of, yeah, happened pretty quick in terms of, um, so Scott Forrest obviously was was the head coach of the Sevens programme for the women, but was on secondment to lead the GB women um, to Tokyo. So they were looking for someone to run a short programme ultimately um, in early summer, springtime there. There was two Rugby Europe tournaments which were acting as qualification for the Commonwealth Games um, next year. So look, they, they got in touch with myself, asked if I'd be interested um, I remember getting the sort of the phone call from from Stevie Gamble or the email at the time, thinking, "Geez, I don't know if I'm quite cut out for that yet." Um, then I thought, "Hey, what? You know, let's let's just jump in, take the opportunity. I'll either sink or swim, um, and 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 crack on." And like honestly, it was probably yeah one of the best experiences I've had as a sort of coach of. Um, it was my first experience really of running a performance program because I got the job with the academy. Hadn't really struck a blow. That was my first time back on the grass, really. Um, but what they did was they put a really good support network around me. Scotty Riddle was in helping on the pitch, um, who's got obviously massive experience around the game of sevens. Um, Drew Scott was leading on SNC, who who's also in with the national 15. So he knew the players particularly well, as did Jill Wilson, who was the, the analyst and manager, and then Tom Newton, the physio. So I felt like I had a really strong group of of people in management around me. Um, and I, I love the experience of being able to, I suppose, design a programme, lead a programme, deliver a programme that was ultimately leading to, to tournaments, performance, um, with the goal of, you know, the, the group getting to, to Birmingham and the Commonwealth Games. So, um, yeah, look, again, I've got a jersey sitting next to me, actually, um, that the girls signed after after Moscow, um, and I've still to get it framed. But look, again, like Dunbar, I think that'll be one thing that kind of stays with me as a, a really positive experience. Loved working with a group. Um, just so keen to get better individually, collectively. Um, we had a really close-knit, or what it felt like a close-knit um, group working hard. Um, and, and then the girls who went on to represent in Lisbon and Moscow did did really well. Um, I remember in Lisbon losing our first two games thinking... Days where uh, you know, this is tough. What, what, what do I do now? What do I do? Um, but again, just remaining calm. The girls got a result in the next game, and and that really fed into the rest of the program. And um, we actually finished third in Moscow. I think fourth overall out of the eight teams. And um, yeah, it was just a brilliant experience getting to travel away and coach. And um, yeah, what an experience I learned heaps about. Made probably loads of mistakes, um, but hopefully got some little bits right along the way. Oh, 100% you did. So I love speaking to sevens coaches. I love speaking to Clark about this. It's different from a 15s environment. There's fewer people for starters, but you don't really play at home. So 
you're in an airport, you're on a plane, you're in a hotel, you're on the bus, you're at train, you know, you you become so close. How did you find that aspect? You've mentioned relationships a lot. How did you find that aspect to being in charge of seven squad? Yeah, really challenging because obviously COVID was still really, really prevalent at that time that we were traveling. So things were quite strict around what we could do actually when we were in those places in terms of being able to go out and and, and kick about. And um, so we did spend a lot of time probably in the hotels. Um, but I think, look, working with the girls probably opened my eyes to them leading. You know, they, they drove so much of things themselves um, in terms of socially, um, you know, the rugby things. I remember setting up a couple of tasks, like analysis tasks, um, before we travelled to both Lisbon and Moscow. And just the, the work that they put in prior to the, you know, we had like a 30 to 40 minute call. Um, the work that they put in prior to the call um, and then their delivery on the call was just outstanding. And you, you're not having to like really, you know, push them and pester them and, and drive things hard myself. And I don't know if that was a, a sort of reflection on the environment that we'd managed to create in the short space of time, or um, I think it was just more of those individuals who were really driven to, you know, to make the thing work. And, um, you know, they're really, really ambitious. Um, the players are around trying to get Scotland women on the map. Um, and, and they love Sivens. They absolutely love the game of Sivens. So in, in some in some aspects, it, you know, it was a, the ideal job because um, there was so much enthusiasm there from the players. And I'm, you know, I'm quite enthusiastic as a coach. I, I bring hopefully a good energy to what what we're about as as a group but um yeah they were just just a great group of great group of people to work with uh, i was delighted when you got that opportunity and it was great to see you experience some success and, and i know the players enjoyed having that experience with you is that as you look ahead into the crystal ball is that something that you would like to have in the future to be in charge of uh, a seven squad or is 15s where you'd like to go or are you just seeing what happens I think I think I've always been an individual that just kind of sees sees what happens. I think I think uh, you know I, I like or I really have a desire to do a really good job. Um, I'm quite a conscientious individual, um, you know. So I think in the here and the now, I need to to concentrate on the role I'm in and doing a really good job there. And and then whatever other opportunities kind of pop up out the back of that or alongside it, then I suppose the learning with the the women's job was probably just to to take them. Um, and run with them and, and see how I go. Um, look, Sivens is a great game. I do I do really enjoy the game of Sivens. Coming from the borders was always a massive thing um, in terms of that spring circuit. There was always a big emphasis on Sivens. I think it's a great game for the development of players. Um, I would love there to be more Sivens. I don't know how it fits into the landscape of things, but definitely from a development point of view, I know from the women and the girls, there's huge appetite from the players to play and play more sevens and um look at yeah sevens 15s i'm not i'm not too sure but um we'll just we'll just see what happens but um yeah hopefully hopefully keep keep going the way i am and opportunities pop up i just need to to take them and uh, see how i go there's no question there are opportunities coming you get a phone call and the person on the other end of the line says hey, we want you and your brother could you work with them um, yeah, I reckon I could. I reckon I could. Um, could he work with you? Yeah, you probably need to, when you get him back on, you could ask him that. I don't know. Um, I, th I think, look, they're obviously a lot older than me, Bruce. So Scott's 10 years older, Clark's 13 years older. So when I was growing up, they were kind of at a different stage of their lives. They were kind of moving out of house. And um, I, I look back on that New Zealand experience with, with a lot of fun memories with Clark because I never really had that time as such with them when I was growing up um, and I think that two years brought us a hell of a lot closer than maybe what we were um, and then the four you know I'd done my whole apprenticeship with with Scott so you know that was great on some days absolutely brutal on other days um, and again I'm sure if you asked him he'd probably say similar stuff but um, look I, I definitely you know I look, I look up to Clark and what he what he's done in his coaching career so far and um, look, he's done. He's done some amazing things, and I think that's what he done. He's been given opportunities. He's, you know, I remember him saying when he got the opportunity to go and coach at the Hurricanes, thinking, "Geez, that is unbelievable." But you know, when when you speak to him, you know, it was a hugely nerve wracking type of experience for him going into an environment with seasoned All Blacks. And you know, I, I think if I, if I was to put myself in that 
situation. It must. Um, I'm not sure how I'd react or how what I'd do. But um, the short answer, yeah, I would. Yeah, it would be quite a cool thing to do, wouldn't it? But uh, who knows? We're on polar other sides of the world at the moment, and he's. He's on a slightly different track, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I think you'll you'll claw him back. And uh, and how's your old man? How's Roy? Yeah, so old man is is doing okay. Um, look, the last year's been incredibly hard for him losing losing his wife and his sidekick. Um, he's you know it's it's been a tough tough mission for him, and he's obviously got Alzheimer's, which you, you just don't know how it's going to impact um, his life in the short, medium, long term. So, um, but look. On on the whole, he's he's doing pretty well. He's fit. He's healthy. He's active. Um, he's got a, a good wee routine going in his days around walking dogs and playing golf and um, eating eating cake and having coffee. So, um, look, I, I think when I look to him and in the support network that he's got now, um, and that's been through rugby. Really, I think that's probably the the best thing about it um, in terms of you know he can play at the highest level. He can play the lowest level. But you've always got your friends and and his mates that he played with have been been incredible. I, I suppose over the last year and supporting dad and making sure that he's okay and getting him out of the house and um, so yeah, credit to them. Yeah, your your dad he's always been really kind to me. And when I see the pictures of you at the finish line and he's got his bonnet on, <laughs> I, I remember a story he told me. Um, I've had lots of great chats with your dad over over the years, and I remember him telling me that. Uh, He'd been coaching at Melrose Sevens with, I think it must have been the Scottish Thistles, I think they were called at the time. But I think they got beaten the final. And he went back to Jed to see his old man. And, uh, you know, they got the players together on a Saturday morning. They got all the way to the final. They lost. And his dad had said to him, so, how did he get on? He said, oh, we lost in the final, dad. And, he, and I, your granddad just said, Oh, that's not very good, son, is it? <laughs> so whenever I look at him at the finish line, I always wonder what's he say to you when you just yeah. run another marathon. He's probably saying you're you're not right in the head, son. Um, but yeah, he, he's it's 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 awesome when he, I remember I done one down in Jed, so started in Hoyk actually and ran to Jed, and he popped up two or three times along the route and actually like ran parts of it um, with his bonnet on, with his shirt on, his shorts on. Just like, um, bah, just just awesome. Just dad down to a tee, like no no frills. Um, yeah, yeah, top man. So uh, wow. yeah, we'll be there to support as best as we can. Um, not not always easy when we're not in the same town, but um, we'll do what we can. Ah no, we we know you're giving them great support, uh, Chris. I've absolutely loved speaking to you. I've got no doubt the future is very bright. At the end of these things, I, I ask people the question. I didn't tip you off on this one when you asked me. You were in a wee bit of flap before we started about what I'm going to ask. So <laughs> at the end of this, you have to finish the sentence. So for you, Chris Laidlaw, happiness is family. Ah, oh, good man. Now, on these runs, they're not necessarily family, but I know they feel like brothers. You've had a lot of support and training and uh, actually on these runs. So you better give them a mention because otherwise Keddy will be into me. So uh, who who do you need to say thank you to? It's actually great timing because those boys are just about to finish Super 6, so I'm expecting them to be back on the road anytime soon. So, um, yeah, so, so CK, Craig Keddy and Jordan Edmonds were two boys that jumped on board early um, in terms of when I, I went to both of them and said, look, I'm going to take on this challenge. Um, are you in behind me to give me a bit of support and nudge along the way? And and they, up until I think Marathon 3 pretty much, Junior done the first three. Jordan completed the first three and if anyone knows Jordan, he's a big, big lad. So running 26 miles um, was nothing short of incredible. CK done the first two and then was supporting on the bike a little bit more after that. So um, yeah, they've been they've been awesome. They they get in touch regularly, make sure I'm trucking along, still ticking off some miles in the weeks. Um, and as I said, I'm hopeful that they'll um, they'll be back out supporting for the next sort of the last three, if you like, because the season's about to wrap up. So um, you know the support from everyone, the club at Barmuir, the club at Jed, um, individuals that I do know, individuals that I've never met before. Um, it's I think that's been the money's been great. Um, but the reasons that I'm doing it and remembering mum, I think people connect into that. That's that's been the real the real ticket. And I suppose it's helped me and, and the family kind of come to terms and and get through or, or go along the journey of the grieving process as well. So um yeah, anyone that anyone that's been helping out, it's listened to this. Thanks very much. 
Chris, you're an absolute star. Uh, all the best for the last three. Um, I'm absolutely delighted you came on. Uh, coaching's going well. I know you're well thought of. I'll see you at some point very soon on the touchline, I've no doubt. All the very best. And uh, you never know. I might be there at the finish line with, with a, a glass of something for you. I'm not convinced I'll do much running. <laughs> I thought that was your point to say you'll be there for the last one. But, um, yeah. <laughs> You're at the start of the end, it's all good as well. So. Uh, I get I get pelters because I helped uh, at Boness, who you did a, a brilliant thing for a couple of weeks ago. They did a sponsored pedalo around the the pond at the at the Kelpies, and I was there for the last lap. So they give me a hard time about just being there for when the press arrives. So I'll get pelters again if I'm there for your last kilometer on the last aye, one. Aye. There's no point changing a habit now, Bruce. <laughs> good night, Chris. Great to see you. All the best, fella. Nah, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated, Bruce. Take ah, it easy. You're, you're very welcome. What a great guy uh, from a great place doing great things in what we think is the greatest game. Uh, if you can support him, please, please get on there. Go for a run. Send him a message. Send him a video. Uh, donate to those three great charities that he's doing work for and you can hear they mean something to him and he speaks from his heart. He's a very genuine guy. I've had the pleasure of coaching him and I'm enjoying watching his coaching journey and I will see him on the touchline and no doubt we'll be watching him on TV at some point soon as well, Uh, although he might have to stand a bit closer to the razor. If you've enjoyed this, you can get us on Apple, Acast and Spotify. Please leave us a review, tell your friends and you'll see us on YouTube and Facebook. But in the meantime, my name is Bruce Aitchison from happiness is egg-shaped and my happiness is egg-shaped look after yourself and stay safe hello i'm mayhem hello i'm chaos and And our happiness is egg-shaped happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end and he said happiness is egg-shaped um, happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 